Well, hey, good morning. How are we doing? Excellent. Hey, in case we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Josh, and I am a banker here in town. My family and I, we attend the second service. We normally sit right over here. It's an exciting day today because for a couple reasons. For me, uh, one is we're introducing a new series called In Tune. The second is in all of my years of preaching, in all of my years of going to church, this is the first time I've ever preached on the topic that we're going to talk about today. And in all of my years of attending church, I've probably only heard two or three messages on the idea that we're going to look at. But to introduce our series, I want to direct your attention here to this artifact. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, this is a TV, television set. This is back when they were a set. Now, audience participation. Who can tell me what these beauties are? Oh, see, and I love that we didn't use the technical term. We didn't say antenna. We said rabbit ears. For those of you under 30, you have no idea why on earth we're talking about this and what this would even do. So let me help you understand. In a world before iPhones... In a world before the internet and cable TV, we had these, these bad boys. You would put them on top of your TV and begin the painstaking process of making that just right adjustment so that you could achieve a perfect signal. Now, this particular TV turns on, but it does not turn off, so we have to leave it off for the time being. So this was the common man's way of watching the television set. Now, there were always those people, and you know who those people are. They had a larger, more luxurious version of the rabbit ears on the top of their house. You know, the highest point of your house. And, and every once in a while, you would have to go up. My dad made this my job, which probably led to my horrible fear of heights, but my dad would make me go up onto the roof and turn that antenna. You know, there was a cloud over here, so we had to turn it to get that just right so that we could receive the signal that was coming through. But the problem was, if you weren't that person in your family, you know, that one person who just had the magic touch, right? They could just be like, wham, and it was perfect. But some of us didn't have that touch. And it was actually to my benefit because if you weren't that person who had the magic touch, you could stay seated. And that other person had to get up and they were like holding their mouth just right and, you know, like, don't move. Don't touch it, right? Like you would get it just right. Because what would happen is we were trying to receive a signal that was coming through the airwaves a signal that we knew was there, and all we had to do was turn this and tune this into the right signal. There's nothing more frustrating when it comes to, or when it used to come to watching TV, knowing that the signal was there, but you just couldn't get it right. You couldn't hear, you couldn't see what was supposed to be visible to us. As we look forward to the upcoming Easter season, I can't help but ponder and consider what it looks like or what it would look like to be totally in tune with God and his ways. 
As, I, as we look at our spiritual life, what would it be like to be totally in tune where there was no impact of the reception with God and his ways? Because to be totally in tune with God, to be totally able to hear and communicate with God and his words, that's what really God wants for our lives. Now, if you're like me, sometimes our life gets a little busy, right? Sometimes there can be a lot of static, uh, things that that would be noisy, a a lot of other things that interrupt my communication with God. The busyness of my day just impacts my communication with God. And if you're here this morning and you thought you were alone, you're not. There's a lot of things in our lives that impact impact our communication with God. And I hope that you're encouraged today to understand that this is not a battle that you're fighting by yourself. That, that, That you want to be in communication with God, but maybe there's just things that are impacting that communication. And so today, I want to help you and, and help myself in understanding how we can better our communication with God. And we're going to look at this through this series about this idea of being in tune with God. To be in tune or to tune, the definition of that means to bring into harmony or to adjust for precise function, intensity, or effectiveness. I love the second definition in light of our our spiritual context or the Christian walk. When we adjust our life, adjust our mind, our emotions to work in their precise function in the way that we were designed. I bet if I was to ask you all, how many of you want to be in a have a better, more in tune, more effective spiritual walk? I bet most of you, if not all of you, would say, yeah. Yeah, I do. I would even imagine that many people who would not yet be a believer in Jesus would say, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good thing. That sounds like something I should do. Uh, You know, I want to have a better life, so if that's what it takes, then that's what I want to do. As we looked in our James series, James chapter 4 says that we are given a promise. James 4, he says this. He says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. We see the similar promise all throughout other parts of scripture where we're promised that if we seek God, if we invite God closer to us, he promises that he will draw near to us. He will come to us. And sometimes we feel alone, right? Sometimes our life with all the noise and all the clutter and all the other things that are going on, man, it can feel lonely. But James reminds us that as we seek to be in tune with God, if we draw near or come near to him, he will draw near to us. And when he does, he he promises joy and peace and contentment and hope and courage and strength as we grow and develop that intimate relationship with God. Now, what we hope to do over the next three weeks is really help us get more in tune with God to focus our hearts and our minds as we approach the Easter season. Now today we're going to be looking at two ways that we can get more in tune with God, but I I want to make sure that we do, before we do, that we get kind of a baseline. Because I want to make sure that we understand that apart from a relationship with God, what we're going to talk about is basically just a good thought. 
it's kind of useless if you don't have a relationship with God. See, we need to know that in order to be in tune with God, we first have to have that relationship. We have to come to a point where we have said, God, I want you to be the leader and forgiver of my life. I want you to forgive me of my sins and help me live a better life. Now this morning, I would be naive to think that everyone in this room has that or everyone watching online has already made that decision and nothing would make me more happy right now than if you jumped up and said, I'm not that guy yet. And you walk to the back and you say, I need to have that baseline started. I need to begin a relationship with God. If you're watching online, jump in the chat host. The chat host will give you direction on how you can do that because we have to start with a relationship with God. And as we said this morning, we're going to talk about an idea called fasting and praying. Now, I want to be clear. I want to make sure we're all on the same page to start. Fasting is not a command that has a desired action, okay? So fasting is not a command that has a desired action. Think, honor your father and mother, right? Kids, everybody knows that. Parents, we've all drilled our, I mean, talked to our kids about that. That's a command that has an action. Fasting is not a command that has an action. But we see all throughout scripture this idea of fasting or abstaining for some, from something for a purpose. In both the Old and New Testament, we see this idea of a fast. Now, when you think of fasting, what do you think of fasting from? Food, right? That, that's the most common thing that we think of when we think of fasting. Because when we have to have blood work done, what do we have to do? We have to fast. Some of you participate in, in the time leading up to Easter and you fast something for Lent. Some of you are on a permanent fast from broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> but in the Bible, we're actually given instruction or direction that there are other things that we can fast from. This is kind of shocking to some of you. Did you know that there is a time to fast from having sex? There's a time to fast from alcohol. There's a time to fast from strong drinks. There are all kinds of instructions throughout the Bible of other things that we can fast from. But why should we fast if it's not a command, right? We have enough things to do. God says all these things that we can't do. Why should we do the things that he just gives us instruction? Why are we even talking about fasting? And I think it's important to understand this. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Fasting reminds us that our greatest need is God. Fasting reminds us that our greatest need is God. We see Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 4 going into the wilderness. He's going through this period of time right before he starts his ministry on earth. And we read in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus went 40 days without food. And I love the, I love the word in, ver, in verse 2, and it says, And he was hungry. 
right? I can't go one meal without food, without being hungry. And Jesus goes 40 days without food, and he is hungry. And at that moment of his hunger, what happens? Satan comes to him, and he tempts him. And what does he tempt Jesus with? He tempts him with his appetite, right? It was physical hunger, and he tempts him with that physical hunger to try to throw him off course. And what does Jesus reply back to him with? He replies back with scripture saying that my physical appetite is not the most important thing to me. It's not what sustains me. It's it's not my greatest need. I am sustained by God. Now, if we're being honest, we too can be led astray and tempted by our desires or our appetites, right? And as we looked at the last couple weeks in our James series, our desires and our appetites, all of them, are not wrong. They're not all wrong. There's nothing wrong with wanting to eat dinner. There's certainly nothing wrong with a steak cooked medium rare. Oh, tell me about it. There's nothing wrong, but what we have to understand that Jesus is showing us that our appetite, our desires, that's not the most important thing we need. That's not what sustains us There is a greater need, and and fasting reminds us that our greatest need is God. See, fasting is when we choose to abstain from something for a specific period of time or a purpose, and for the purpose of giving that undivided, intensive devotion to God and to our spiritual lives, Uh, reminding us, fasting reminds us that our relationship with God is the most important thing. You see, fasting helps us train our bodies and our flesh to discipline. It's the discipline of saying no to something. We say no to simple things like food or media in order to help us grow in the discipline of saying no to sin. See, fasting is an invitation to be in tune with God. Now, I think it's important to talk a few things about fasting. The areas that we've talked about and that we see in Scripture are what I will call good or neutral things. So we're to fast from good or neutral things. We see examples of fasting from food. Again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a steak medium rare. Now, you cook it well done. We might be crossing over into another area, but... There's nothing wrong with food. Food is good. There's nothing wrong with social media. That would be what I would call neutral, right? Because some of you don't have social media, and that doesn't make you good or bad. It just means that it's a neutral thing. So when we look at fasting from something, we're picking something that is good or neutral. Notice that fasting from something that is wrong is not fasting. What that is is that's called repentance, So in other words, we're not saying, I'm going to fast from porn for 40 days and focus on Jesus for 40 days, but on day 41, right? That's not fasting. We're not fasting from something that is wrong. So we have a desire to be in better tune with God, to adjust our reception so that we can be the most effective. And if your day is like mine, it's filled with a few things, and I would argue that a few of these things are good or neutral. You know, we're, we're, my day is filled with things like food, 
right? We got some food. Um, maybe as uh, for some of you, your day is filled with technology. Or maybe, you know, your, your day is filled with your car. Or as Ryan said, March Madness. Talked to somebody last night, he had three screens going, three different games. Your day is filled with March Madness. Maybe for some of you, your day is filled with music. Again, these things are not bad. They're what I would call good or neutral. And so when we say we're, we're fasting from these things, we're looking at our day. We're going to look at what fills up our day. And what does this remind you of as a kid? What would happen to your TV if this is what it looked like? You wouldn't get a clear reception. Why? Because there's so much stuff blocking the reception, blocking the communication that is trying to get through. It affects and it hinders the ability to receive and see that clear picture. So fasting is an invitation to remove something from your list, from your day, so that you have the purpose of bettering your communication with God. It's a way to say, I am not sustained by this. I am not sustained. Come on now. I'm not sustained by this. Did you know that fasting from your phone actually has a physical benefit to you as well? There's a new phenomenon that I did confirm with a chiropractor this week. It is called text neck. And text neck is the 40 degree angle that a lot of us, many of us, most of us, find ourselves in throughout the day. And text neck causes our neck muscles and, and our back to tighten, tighten our muscles, have stiff neck, and get constant headaches. Fasting from your device has a physical benefit to you as well. But fasting is an invitation to remove a desire that can obstruct our desire from God. This is an intentional evaluation of your day, an intentional evaluation of your life, and then a decision to remove that thing from your life so that as Jesus was, he demonstrated that he was not sustained by bread. It's an invitation for you to remove something and realize that you are not sustained by that thing, but you are instead sustained by God. I think the important part of this is the intentionality. Because we all know what happens if we find ourselves in that five minutes of unplanned peace. What happens, right? Mom, you're in that pickup line for your kids, and all of a sudden, you've got no emails, you've got no phone calls, and you're sitting there five minutes of peace waiting for your kid to come out. And what happens? I'm just going to check out the cute cat video that was uploaded, right? We fill that plan, we fill that time because it's unplanned. It's unintentional freedom. So we are intentionally picking something that causes us to have a void, that causes us to have a gap. Now, what do we do with that gap? What do we do when we take something away from our, our life and we remove it so that we can have a better communication with God? What do we fill that with? Well, Scripture tells us that we're to fill it with prayer because prayer fills the void that fasting creates. 
all throughout scripture, we see this prayer filling a void that fasting creates. We look throughout scripture and we see these two going hand in hand. Whenever you see fasting, what do you see next? Prayer, communicating with God. We look at the Old Testament. We see David. It says he prayed and fasted over his sick child in 2 Samuel 12. And Luke 2, a widow, she worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. In Acts 13, the leaders of the church were, were contemplating what to do. And it says they spent time fasting and praying. James 5 reminds us that our prayer, the prayer of a righteous person, is powerful. It's effective. The prayer of someone whose, whose heart and mind is in tune with God or in line with God is powerful and effective, and it does great and amazing things. It really puts God in action, God on the move. But we have to remember that fasting and praying is not like a magic pill. Like, all I got to do is pray and fast, and then it's going to happen, right? That's not the way it works. When I was a freshman in college, um, I remember coming back from break and um, sitting in church, and I heard of one of my youth leaders, his name was Lynn, and Lynn had a very aggressive form of cancer, and so the, the pastor of the church encouraged everyone to fast and pray for Lynn's healing, and there was a specific day, and so on that specific day, I remember as a freshman in college, I fasted and prayed for Lynn. The church fasted and prayed for Lynn. Shortly after that day, Lynn died. I fasted and prayed, and I wanted healing for Lynn. The church wanted healing for Lynn. His family wanted healing for Lynn. But healing didn't come in the way we wanted. So Josh, if you're saying that fasting and praying is not guaranteed to work, why should I do it? Well, the only real answer that I can give you is to do it because Jesus did. I mean, Jesus prayed, and, and understand that Jesus even prayed for things to be different than the way God, wanted, God had planned. I know that's going to be hard for us to understand, and we're going to look at that real quick, but understand Jesus prayed and he said, God, change it. It's not the way I want it. Look at Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is moments before his torture, moments before his imminent death. And so he goes to a garden and he begins praying. And it says, going a little bit further, he, Jesus, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Do you hear the desperation in that prayer? Jesus was desperately praying for God. God, change it. Do it differently. There's got to be a better way, a different way. But he doesn't end there. He ends with, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, God's son, wanted something different than what was planned for him. He wanted it so bad. He prayed so hard and so fervently. In Luke chapter 2, we read that he actually sweat drops of blood. 
But he ends that prayer with, God, I know you heard my desires, but I want what you want. His prayer was one of honest desire and general submission, genuine submission. He wasn't trying to leverage or strong arm God. He wasn't trying to manipulate God. His prayer wasn't, wasn't that of trying to bargain with God. He was speaking freely to his father. But he knew that his father's ways were best. And I think it's so important to look at the next part of this story. Because sometimes we forget that we have to keep praying. So Jesus gets up from that moment and he goes to his disciples who were hanging out in the, the, the outer rim there. And he goes and talks to them for a minute. And then it says he comes back. He comes back to that same place. And he says, my father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken from me unless I drink it. He says, if it's not possible for this to happen, your will be done. He's asking God again for the second time in a matter of moments, please change it. If there's another way to do it, please do it differently. See, we can approach God with that same boldness. We can approach God with that, that same fervor, and, but then we have to trust that his way is best. God, I want this, but if this doesn't happen, I'm going to trust that you have a better plan. Understand that everyone in this room benefited from God's better plan. We benefited so much more than we could ever understand from God's better plan for Jesus. Prayer is an invitation to tune our heart to God's heart. Prayer isn't just trying to get God to do something for us, right? It's not just checking off that, that little list of to-dos. But prayer is a submission to Jesus and to God, in the same way that Jesus submitted to his Father's will. You see, prayer is often less about getting God to do what I want and more about getting my heart to do what God wants. It wasn't that God didn't hear Jesus. It wasn't that God didn't love Jesus. It wasn't that Jesus prayed a bad prayer or, or a selfish prayer, or it wasn't that Jesus didn't have enough faith. It was that God had a better plan for Jesus. You see, prayer is an invitation to lay our desires, our plan down, and to pick up God's. Sometimes our desires match up with God's desires. And that's when it's awesome, right? You pray for something and then it happens and you're like, woohoo, God's awesome, right? We, we celebrate those moments because our desires and our plan matched up with God's plan. But what do we do when that doesn't happen? What do we do in those times when we see that our desires and God's desires are not the same? Again, it, that doesn't mean that our desires are wrong, but what do we do when our desires and God's desires do not match up? Well, as we looked at the last couple of weeks, we have to submit our desires to God's. So when you look at your life, what of your desires crowd out 
your desire for God. Maybe for some of you, it's food. And I'm not talking about the meal that you eat. I'm talking about you run to the kitchen in moments of your emotional need instead of running to God. Maybe for you, your desire is money. You feel you you need something. And so instead of running to God, you either run to earning more money or you just buy it anyways and hope things work out. Maybe for you, it's entertainment. You feel like if you actually took the time to spend with God, God might actually ask you to do something that's a little bit uncomfortable. And so instead of listening to God, instead of, instead of uh, allowing that God to speak, you just fill up all of the quiet with noise. Maybe for you, what is part of your desire is something that is sin. And you know it's wrong. And you know it's crowding out your desire for God. You've allowed your appetite for sin to win the day. I would encourage you in the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to address that very specifically, how you can over, overcome that. But as you look at your life and as you look at your desires and what crowds out God, here's some ideas of things that you can do to choose to lay aside and make more room for prayer. Maybe for you, you do need to, do, to eliminate food in some way. Now, Fasting from food is always a little bit touchy. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a doctor. So if your doctor has you on a very rigid eating plan, stick to it. But maybe you fast from food at certain times. Like you pick one day a week, saying, on, I'm going to fast from food on this day. You could join the pastors and the staff who on Mondays, from now, between now and Easter, they're going to be fasting from food and praying that God would do amazing things on our Easter services. Maybe you're going to fast from certain types of food, sweets or, or, or drinks. I know, don't talk about your diet Pepsi, but you know, <laughs> or there's actually a thing you could Google called the Daniel fast. You're going to limit yourself to certain types of food. Maybe you're going to fast from certain meals. I'm not going to eat breakfast. And then intentionally, I'm going to fill that time with prayer. Maybe for some of you are going to fast from entertainment. You're going to fast from watching certain shows or movies. You're going to fast from sports or news. Maybe you're going to fast from social media, right? Maybe you're going to fast entirely from your cell phone. Ooh, that got some reaction. Maybe you're going to fast from money. Only going to spend money on necessities. I'm not going to buy those, those shoes. You know your Amazon cart that's like $1.9 million? I'm not going to spend money on that. Understand that what I just gave you certainly is not an all-inclusive list. It's a very open-ended list because you know your day. You know your life. But whatever it, whatever it might be for you, Maybe there even be a couple things that you pick. Here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to find one person. It could be your spouse. It could be an accountability or just a friend. Find one person and tell them, Cindy, I'm going to fast from coffee. Whew. Yeah, tell me about it. I'm going to fast from coffee for the next week. 
I'm going to give her a clear direction, a time frame, so that I can get support and that she can encourage me along the way. In Matthew, Jesus talks very clearly about how we're not supposed to be when we fast. He tells us that we're not supposed to draw our attention to ourselves. We're not supposed to highlight the fact that I'm fasting, you know, like fasting for Jesus, right? Not supposed to happen. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to draw attention to ourselves, but instead we're supposed to use that time and focus our attention on God. So we use that space that we create from fasting to seek God, to, to help align our hearts and our desires to God and to his. So if you're here this morning, you're like, I really don't know what I'm supposed to do. As you leave, we, we have a fasting guide for you. If you're online, they're going to put a link on the chat host and you can download that and keep it for yourselves. But as you leave, you're going to get a fasting guide. And understand this is not a guide. This is not like in order to get to heaven, this is what you have to do. This is a guide for you to help you be more in tune with God. There's instructions, there's directions, there's recommendations and just plain ideas for you. Because our desire is that each of us would be better in tune with God and his desires. Let's pray. God, you're a good God. And God, sometimes we struggle with crowding things um, in our lives and, and crowding you out. God, may, may we today realize and understand that, that being a part of your plan, being a part of your will is the best thing for our lives. God, that we can do certain things to, to crowd you out, but may we find ourselves with a desire to be better connected to you. God, today, if there's any in the room that, and any online that find themselves in a position where they are struggling with even their relationship with you, God, may today be the day they deepen that or even just begin that relationship with you. God, we desire to see you glorified in our lives. And we pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.